0: Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, Designing Space for Esports, a Growing Campus Phenomena, Part 2, we are joined by Phil Alexander of Miami University and A.J. Medina, a senior architect at BHDP. Phil, who is co-founder and co-director of Miami's Varsity Esports and an assistant professor of game studies, has been instrumental in bringing the university to the forefront of this emerging collegiate sport. More than three years ago, AJ, Phil, and a team from both BHDP and Miami began developing a -a one-of-a-kind space for Miami students to compete, gather, and break down barriers. This episode was recorded in that completed space. I am your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and this is part two of a two-part series.
1: Have you been able to have a competition in this space yet? Our team has competed from the room. We have been on the abundance of safety side the whole time, so since we're in a space where we don't necessarily have to have everyone in the same place, it's weird because we're all itching to use the room because it's awesome and we want people to come here, but at the same time, it's like, you can play from where you are and we can play from where we are and there's no risk of anyone getting sick, so. But. And Phil, doesn't that really highlight the
2: human need, the human desire to gather or something of excellence that draws us to one another? How do we take this thing, right? The computer mm-hmm. that's really, and the internet more specifically, that's really transformed our lives and gives us this ability, which is great. During COVID, we've been able to work from home. Mm-hmm. We've been able
1: to compete from mm-hmm. home.
2: But you're saying we're still itching to compete together and be united.
1: I think that's really the most interesting duality of esports is that it is probably the safest thing you can do. I would say it's definitely the safest competition that the college has. And there was a moment a, a year and a half ago where the president said to us, you know, you're the only team that's going to be able to compete this year. (laughs) <laughs> none of none of our other teams are going to be able to find a way to compete because you guys can all be spread out and safe. But the whole idea behind esports came from, as I mentioned earlier, those LAN parties—that desire to come together. You know, uh, we opened the public space and we were thinking, well, with COVID and everything, how's that going to go? And then you walk by and it's a madhouse. You know, the, the mm-hmm. whole the whole place is full and there's energy and excitement, and it is just kind of part of the whole system. And I think it's also, particularly for gamers, there's a different mode when you come to an event. You know, obviously, I don't know that any of our players would ever say it, but I think if truth be known, they would rather just be the five of them in a room and not be able to see anything else because yeah. they want to focus. But when you're at an event, it's more about the idea of getting to see all the people and being able to pay attention to what's happening, but also being able to just kind of fellowship the yeah. people that are
2: around. Phil, the, the fact that we're bringing everyone together. But there's also a really important fact that we haven't talked about too much, and that is that this is collegiate esports that we're talking mm-hmm. about here today. So yeah. we've talked a lot about the esports side of that phrase, but mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the collegiate side of it and what it means to be a student gamer and how the fact that there is this in real life aspect to it, how does that affect the student as a person and the student experience
1: here on campus? Yeah, so we try to explain it to people as best to think about it the same way you would uh, an athlete in any other sport. And obviously, instead of being out on a practice field, you know, this is their practice field. But we try to do some things with the players to make sure that the experience doesn't turn into something that could be negative. But we wanted to make sure that our players understood there's a difference between being a gamer and being an esports athlete. Gamer, and I'm sure we'll get into stickier parts of this later, but gamer can have some bad connotations. As a games professor, I'm obviously trying to reclaim it and make sure it doesn't look that way. But you know, gamers tend to play for fun more than anything else, and their definition of what is fun will be different. But an esports athlete is actually playing to master that specific game. And so we make sure that they only practice a certain amount of time. And obviously we can't stop them from playing their assigned game outside of that time. But uh, they practice for about nine hours a week and then they compete depending on the time of year in the team. They compete anywhere from, you know, two to six hours a week. And they also have physical training that they do with, you know, we have a former track coach who was one of our coaches. And so he makes sure that they're doing the things they need to do there. They do a lot of stretching. They do a lot of team building stuff. But Mm -hmm. the idea is to give them an experience that is akin to what you would see. For a collegiate athlete, Uh, the good part of it is they don't have a lot of the negatives that come from being like a collegiate football player. They don't have to miss like four days of classes to travel every week. You know, we usually have them practice in the evening so it doesn't really hurt their schedule. And so they're able to have a, a regular kind of student life as well. I think it's interesting that there's an athletic
0: component to it as well, from a like an exercise regimen. Is it to fight against the sedentary lifestyle, or what, what's partially?
1: The... It's partially that, but it's also if you look at the kind of the scholarship and research behind it, the more fit you are, the better you are as a gamer, and so being really? able to to deal with you know how you hit your body handles stress, how quickly you react. The most interesting thing about doing all this for me has been that you know, I was a competitive gamer when I was younger. And they tell you, and I've seen it firsthand, so I can promise you it's true, your peak as an eSports player is about 23. You know, after that, your reaction time starts to slowly go away. You have to tune that muscle. So it's a different set of muscles that you're tuning in a different way. But you know, they have to do a lot of like hand strength exercise, a lot of hand-eye coordination. Heart rate is really important having good cardiovascular health because your body gets just as stressed out. Yeah. You might not realize it from watching, but you know, body temperature goes up, heart rate increases, so much so that they're actually going to make beta blockers an illegal drug for esports. Wow. Whoa. Unfair advantage slows your heartbeat down so you don't have the same twitch anxiety. Interesting.
2: So. Phil, some of those skills that you're talking about that are physical skills that are used in the games also translate into the career field, which is why we're seeing a nice applicability of esports skills to things such as medicine, right? Long concentration Mm -hmm. times for surgeons, hand-eye coordination, good dexterity, et cetera, being calm under Mm -hmm. pressure. So sometimes people ask, what is the point of having even gaming, not necessarily varsity esports, but... Any kind of organized gaming on campus for students that are not going to go be professionally sports players, right? Similar to how a collegiate football star may not necessarily go to the NFL, but those skills still translate out into various
0: aspects of the industry so I'm old enough Phil you might appreciate this I had pong you know when you screwed it into the blade terminals in the back of your TV yeah Uh, that's all I've been playing I've seen it went from being a pejorative that if you were a gamer that there was you were just this recluse and something was wrong with you but now the gaming industry is driving a lot of other industries so AJ you talked about medical but I've also seen it in the film industry with Mm -hmm. software like previs where they're able to set up scenes before they even start shooting I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff behind the Mandalorian and the the volume that they built, that's all based on game engines. And through the pandemic, the need for safe interaction and collaboration when you could build an avatar and be in the same virtual space, you know, suddenly these battle royales become conference royales or something, you know, like whatever it needs to be. I want to talk about something that's really unique here at Miami
2: University. And that is, uh, where well, you're talking about the way they filmed The Mandalorian. That's called an XR stage, extended reality mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. And at Miami University, they've done a lot of research in that. They're kind of starting to blend some of the, what they know about game theory, about esports, with research into extended reality. And Miami is actually going to be building, it'll open up in a couple of years, a brand new XR stage at the new McVeigh mm-hmm. Data Science Building which is a really large project that BHTP is really excited to be a part of. And that is a whole other technology that is Mm -hmm. just really emerging and has so many exciting applications, both to film, to public speaking, and any number of other industries.
0: I do want to broach a subject here because uh, having gamed for as long as I have, online gaming has a deep-seated history of misogyny, And racism, it was just like a almost a knee jerk reaction in the gaming community to be have this negative energy. So uh, since this is a collegiate esport, how does the college deal with diversity, equity, inclusion, when it comes to gaming to esports?
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's difficult because you have to think about like kind of the, the cart horse metaphor. Mm-hmm. As long as I have been here, which is now 11 years, in the games program, we have always been as open and inviting as we can. We do a lot of outreach in the community down in Cincinnati, in Dayton. We try to bring as many people in as we possibly can. We have to fight the stigma all the time. And when I started here... You could see it in the classroom, and it was really kind of disheartening for me because a student would come in, and they'd come to visit me, and they'd be sitting there, and there's, you know, 30 white students. And then there's me. Uh, I'm Cherokee, but I read as white. So kind of showing people that diversity was difficult. And over time, we found, you know, more and more female students coming in and then more and more students of color. And now if you go into one of our classrooms, it's still not quite the way you would want to see a diverse community. But if you look at the numbers for Miami, it's, it's right at, the way it should look for our population. And so I think that's good, but it's obviously not enough. And I think the larger issue is, and I do a lot of research on this so I could get nerdy in a hurry, but <laughs> um, I always talk to people about thinking about the game's world like an onion. The problem is way down there in the core. You know, Way back in the 1970s, when the only video game you could play was Space War, it was a bunch of white research nerds. And so there was this sense of exclusion It doesn't really come until you get maybe outside of Quake and into more console stuff that you start to see that break of it was the people who had the huge computers that did computer science and engineering that were playing. And so now that we have devices, like the biggest gaming device in the world is this. you know, The biggest audience for gaming is women from 30 to 55. So things are changing. And as people are starting to see that, the community is starting to change, too. And the thing that makes me happy, and again, this is not enough. When I say this to people, they always look at me like, so we just wait? And that's not necessarily what I'm saying. But if you look, every four years, the gamers in high school get more diverse. And that's one of the things that I am constantly working on, is figuring out how do we explain to people that the space is open. Because the, the truth of it, and this is the part that's sad, but also like this is the thing you have to know, there aren't that many racist, misogynistic horrible people in the game space. I mean, there's that stereotype and you certainly feel it in certain game communities, but the thing is there are very few of those people, but they are the loudest human beings in the world. And so I actually do research so I could show you the numbers. If you're in a match and like I used to do raids in world of Warcraft. So you're in a group of 25 people. One person says something racist to one other person. No one else says anything. The person who was insulted feels like 24 people were just racist. Wow. But what happened Mm -hmm. was one person was racist and 23 people were unwilling to be angry with the person who's racist. So when I present all this at conferences, what I tell people is the only way we're ever going to change it is everyone who is normal and inviting and happy. You have to call that behavior out. If somebody says something racist, you have to be like, whoa, that was uncalled for. Apologize or we're not playing anymore. Yeah. And I love that a space like this exists now because this is a really good chance to do it because we've already seen there are faces that aren't white and that aren't male coming into that room. And when you're the second one to walk in and you see someone else, it's a completely different thing than me saying, hey, you can come over here. You know, if you come over and you see that other people are here already, then that starts to build that community and really foster that, that sense of inclusion. Oh Phil that's great. I did see when we came into the room
0: you actually have a code of ethics too. Mm-hmm. So is there a code by which you know the
1: esports athletes are expected to abide by? Yeah, we have uh, a whole series. Basically the the rules for the program treat people the way you want to be treated regardless of who they are. But, you know, there's a whole series of, because we've seen little things happen over time, there's a whole series of things you can't do. You know, there's words you can't say, there's ways you shouldn't act, there are things you should never, ever do. I think a lot of the problem with, with gamers is that there are terms that are thrown around that shouldn't be thrown around. Listen, guys, I know you've been saying this word since you could first speak, but you need to understand that words mean things you can't say that word that way. That's one of the things I love about
2: esports in the collegiate realm is it's really helping us deal with some of these things that have become cultural normatives in our country over generations that now we're starting to see, you know, maybe we need to think twice about what we're saying. So not just our players thinking twice about what we're saying.
1: And it, that kind of allows me to, to mention something else that I talk to the players about a lot, is that we're in this moment kind of societally where we're trying to figure out how to deal with all these things too. And so I always, when one of these things happens, once we've diffused it and the, the steam has released from the kettle, I always <laughs> remind them if you're trying to do the right thing if you're trying to be a good person, if you make a mistake and you own the mistake and apologize, almost every single time, it's going to be okay and it's going to lead to something better. I was telling you, you have to not be afraid to say, oh, I made a mistake. I, I did something without thinking you know, I was in my own headspace and I didn't realize that meant something different to you than it means to other people. But uh, what, I, what I always have to diffuse with students, and it's weird because I tell students it's like there's a generation jump. I have to do this with students. I have to do this with colleagues over the age of 60. Hmm. You have to quit feeling uncomfortable because I pointed out to you that something you said was misogynistic or racist or homophobic or transphobic or ableist. Realize that I'm telling you from a position of love and respect, because I realize you didn't mean it that way, but I also know that you very easily could have hurt someone, and I find students are incredibly adaptive to it. Sorry, I'm going to bring it back to space. We got real deep there, which is great. I love it. I
2: love it. So as we bring it back, if we could redo this again tomorrow... What would we do differently, you know, for that that you think is missing out of this place to have those kinds of conversations? Because I always felt like when I was designing this project, if I could have 50 more square feet, you know, like because because this is a tight project. It
1: is a very tight project. If I could have
2: 50 more square feet, I just want to fit a couch in a corner Mm -hmm. somewhere is the one thing I would like to have.
1: Yeah, and I I think uh, we haven't had any of those conversations here yet, but my guess is that what I'll do is go around the corner to where the couches are. (laughs) Where the couches couches are, (laughs) yes. Yeah, just wait until there's a time when no one else is out there or watching TV so that obviously not publicly showing that discussion, although it wouldn't be the end of the world if our students overheard something like that. And that's where the
2: uncomfortable one, right? There's also the positive ones, right? right? I'd still love this couch for the really great, the celebratory moments, Mm -hmm. I mean, celebrating in the room that we're in where there's a lot of expensive technology and, and Yeah, you can't a dump Gatorade
0: go- on the coach's yeah. head. <laughs> you can dump <laughs>
2: really. Gatorade in here or really anywhere in this building. Uh, but you know, it's that looking at that happy side and the exciting side and the collegial, not in the academic sense, yeah. but in the just being together and being a team. You know, that's a really important aspect that we want to celebrate in, in the spaces. And again, back to the whole point mm-hmm. why we're gaming to physically right. together.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things, AJ, that I have thought a lot about is the element that's missing from esports in general is um, if you've done athletics, AJ, Brian, I don't know if both of you played sports, but there's no locker room. Yeah. 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 You don't have that moment where you all go back to the area that, that is technically for changing gear, but we all know that, A lot more happens in that room than that. Yeah, not having inspirational halftime speech. Yeah, halftime speech or (laughs) after practice, everyone's worn out and that's where you, you know, have your team meeting or whatever. And there really isn't a space like that for esports. So,
2: well, I'll challenge that. And, and it doesn't exist here on Miami's campus, but one of the trends that I'm seeing is the return, not necessarily of the locker room, but the equivalent of the film room, right? So basketball teams have the film room. And in eSports, there's a growing demand uh, Mm -hmm. for VOD coaching, right? So, and I I feel like that would be the kind of space to make comfortable Mm -hmm. and exciting. It's a place where we can blend the learning and the social, the fun aspect but we're not behind the keyboard and mouse. Right. And speaking specifically to PC yeah. gaming, we're not behind the keyboard and mouse. We can be more about being in person together mm-hmm. um, and, and connecting interpersonally and sometimes with the screen, with a, with a yeah. video on demand coach or something remote. Yeah.
1: I think the whole story of academia, and I'm sure as an architect you see this all the time, AJ, is space. Space is like the one thing that is almost impossible to squeeze out of a university is a premium i used i used to think it was money until this project and then (laughs) trying to get the funding for this versus trying to get the physical square feet was just i mean it was no no contest
0: can you imagine what the future might hold for this since you're kind of pioneering some of these things like
1: how do you see esports growing for the future I think eventually, and and this will sound really ambitious coming off of what I just said, but I think eventually this entire hallway will be eSports. Because the the whole question from the university when we started was, what's actually going to happen? Like, are (laughs) the students going to come and use the space or not? And it's really, it's a valid question, because if you look around at models, there are only a few. There's, There's a large public space at Akron that we went and visited, which is spread across, I think, four buildings, three or four. And then uh, UC Irvine has a pay-to-play arena that is populated frequently. But the question that the university asked is, are our students who own expensive computers going to come and play in this room? And AJ, you probably know from looking. Brian, you probably know from knowing the gaming space. The answer is yes, absolutely. Yeah. But they'll be waiting lines for too long. 30 is not going to be enough. So. Phil,
2: you're, you're not dreaming big enough. In <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> Well, when you look at Butler just released some of their designs for their new space, they're going to start constructing soon. You you look at examples of of some of the others that are on the leading edge of it. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Shenandoah in Virginia. They have a great program. It's been around almost as long as you guys. It's not quite as long. And their space, which is quite large, they they gave me a virtual tour Mm -hmm. of it. And then what some of the professional teams are doing, Mm -hmm. for example, I think Kings Island recently announced that they're going to be building a professional competition arena there, more on the pro level than the collegiate level. At the amusement park? At the amusement park, yep, and a couple of other spaces. So we see the realm growing at the collegiate level. I would not be surprised to see you all in five or ten years needing to look at 20,000 square feet or so Mm -hmm. of combining – not just esports, right? Because mm-hmm. there is the varsity esports and even right. here we have the open play area, you've got some J V teams, right? But now we need to start thinking at a collegiate level how this applies to your own academic program, mm-hmm. right? So game theory. How do we teach gamification both on traditional games, right? And non-traditional means. Look mm-hmm. at peloton right yeah. one of the reasons why they're so successful is they have gamified things mm-hmm. look at your rewards at kroger yeah. right that is a form of gamification mm-hmm. so how do we take something that is an activity for lack of a better term e es- and gaming together and connect that more to the purpose of the institution which is academia which is mm-hmm. enhancing skills for students that are going into the workforce, which is about research with Mm -hmm. ties to uh, any number of things, such as XR that we talked Mm -hmm. about today and and VR, et cetera. How do we take all these different components where esports and gaming can be the center of it and design programs and buildings around that to really enhance all of industries, not Mm -hmm. just providing workers that can go
0: straight to activision or ubisoft right. yeah very cool thanks for that aj so phil is there anything else you'd like to share with us before you go anything on your
1: mind uh, just again aj thanks to you and your team you did an amazing job It is just great to see this place realized now
0: thanks phil we're excited <laughs> to see the students here and use yeah. the space Phil, thank you very much for your time. I think I could do this for another hour and a half uh, easy and not get bored even a little. AJ, thank you for sharing this project. This is exciting. Have a wonderful day.
1: You too. Thanks Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, Designing Space for Esports, a Growing Campus Phenomenon, Part 2, with Phil Alexander of Miami University and AJ Medina of BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.